0: Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. So, um, I got a, a number of really great calls from Daniel Norton of uh, Bandit's Keep um, on a variety of topics from from a hand, several of the the episodes here towards the end of RPG a day month. So I thought I would kind of like I did with Jason Connerly's calls. um, I thought I would bundle them all together and uh, intersperse them with my responses. So again, what you'll kind of hear is a conversation back and forth or at least Daniel's calls and his reactions to some of my shows. And I think to some of a of a lot of stuff that came up in that extended call episode with Jason as well, Daniel's thoughts on, on those conversations, and then some of my responses back. So uh, I want to say in advance thank you to Daniel for the uh, the great calls and the great ideas. I, I like getting these kinds of uh, calls and stimulating the kind of discussion and the thinking so we can continue to inspire each other and, and entertain each other and have a good time in our hobby. So take it away, Daniel.
1: Hey, BJ. Uh, Daniel. Ben's keep calling in from my walk, so now I'm like Taylor from Clerks, wing now Wingmail, where you can hear me exercising, or at least some extent of it. But anyways, um, my theory on alignment is that simple is better. Um, I tend to, to stick with the OD&D one, or the the basic expert version, um, and one thing they say, I don't have it in front of me to read, but that it's something I'm going to paraphrase, but it's something like, under the chaotic, it'll say something like, the things that a chaotic character might do is what some people might consider evil, and I think that's kind of interesting because... That opens up that idea that, like, chaotic is this, and in some, you know, uh, civilizations that might be considered evil, being selfish, whatever. But it doesn't necessarily, right, if you're in a society where being selfish is is the norm, then maybe that person wouldn't be considered evil. And they don't really have a good evil, right, access. They just have the chaos law. Also, it's interesting that you said that you you didn't, weren't using or didn't assign alignments or whatever. I can't remember how you said exactly, but... Uh, <laughs> You have your own reason with the confusion and whatnot but um what what 's funny about that to me is that i 've been running a lot of like one shots in uh, o d and d, and I also have not been putting alignment on people 's sheets because i 'm just saying everybody 's lawful i'm just i've just decided that um, i don 't want i never have wanted evil player characters, so I certainly don 't want chaotic ones, and the one shots that i 'm creating are revolving around essentially um, people that are hopefully are going to do <laughs> the right thing. So I'm just making way lawful. I'm not giving the players a choice. you are lawful. And nobody's had a problem with that, so it's funny how that works out. <laughs> Less choices equals uh, they can't complain about it, right? Now, of course, me automatically assigning that alignment to everybody, does that make me lawful and neutral? I guess we'll find out.
0: Hey, Daniel, when you say simple is better, you're a man after my own heart. And whether we are talking about alignment or <laughs> any other aspect of the games... And I think I've mentioned before, I think things only need to be as complex as, as they need to be to accomplish what you want to get out of the game. and uh, So it kind of depends, you know, that also includes a matter of taste then, because what you want is a matter of taste. But if you can get it in as few steps and in as few words and as few complicating factors as possible, I think that's great. Particularly when you have to adjudicate alignment as a GM when it's simpler and, and cleaner. It's a lot easier to make decisions uh, around that. Um, and you're not alone in not wanting chaotic or, or evil <laughs> players. It's a pretty common thing if you get on online discussions about people's house rules. A lot of them will rule no evil players. Uh, sometimes they'll also say no chaotic neutral players. Because that's just a temptation to be disruptive and, and antagonistic to, uh, to other party members or to, you know, the garden variety NPC, you know, the guard who's just supposed to say, you know, the inn is on the other side of town and that's all you needed. And then, the, you know, the player decides he's going to harass this poor NPC who's supposed to be just a nameless extra with a walk on part. <laughs> um,. But yeah, I think um, I I think I I agree with you there. That that simpler is better. And and, um, I've never banned alignments, but I certainly try not to reinforce or just if someone puts neutral evil on their character sheet, yeah, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But there'll be natural consequences for behaving in that manner. (laughs) That that, you know, I, I tend to. Run games that assume that you're heroic or semi-heroic. Even if you're just a treasure hunter trying to, to uh, you know, level up and, and seek fame and glory or fortune, that's okay. Um, those characters do well in my games. It's it's when you decide that you're gonna, we've got to stop what everybody else is doing, because you've got to go off on a side quest to pickpockets or, you know, scam. A local merchant, or something like that, because I think I think that's more of a problem with it being disruptive. Not necessarily that it's a character who's who's not good or not lawful, uh, but anyway, Daniel's got a little more to say about alignment here.
1: Oh wow, okay, so you and Jason are discussing alignment, um, of course. So there's a couple of things I think I'm gonna. This is probably a lot, so I probably won't leave it all as a message on. Maybe I'll do a, something on my podcast, but um, in the Andre Norton Witch World books. They actually have words that can only be spoken by either the good or the evil people. And it's one of the ways that people who don't know each other identify themselves. They come forward and they speak the words. And, and actually these words, these like we call them lawful words, if you will, in d and terms, are, are written on like barriers around, uh, around like the area where the good people are. And when you cross that barrier, in order to cross, you have to say those words out loud. And an evil person cannot say those words. They're just not able to do it. Not that they can't read it. Not that they don't know what the words are, but they just can't do it. And I think that's super interesting, right? If you made alignment language, maybe not, hey, Joe, I'm going to go down the street and have a coffee, but rather, but rather these words are used to identify very certain rituals or very certain things that, um, that belong to that alignment. And because they are so sacred, as you say, it's almost like a replacement of religion, because they are so sacred, the other side can't speak them. And I suppose if you wanted to have neutral people, they could maybe understand both but ne- speak neither, you know, uh, who knows, right? But speaking of neutral, and again, uh, I'll probably talk more about this in, in my podcast. I don't want to take up too much time here. But Andre Norton also has another book that she wrote after playing D&D with Gygax. I forget what it's called now, but if you Google it, you'll find it. And in that book, they use alignment a lot. In fact, there are tribes of people that are neutral. And honestly, the, the way it's played out is that both the lawfuls and the chaotics do not trust or like the neutral people because they have not picked a side it is much more honorable to have picked a side even if it's the opposite side. And I think that's also super interesting. You know, that neutral is actually almost the worst alignment.
0: Now see those are very interesting uses of alignments, that they are are choices that people cog that kinda like in Three Hearts and Three Lions, you have made the decision, you have declared yourself for You know, one side of a cosmic battle and it actually has an effect on what you can and can't do on a metaphysical level Um, I think that's much more fascinating than just hey this is important we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it in the rule book but there's really other than maybe if you get into a battle of wills with a sentient (laughs) artifact or magic item sometimes it doesn't really matter uh, in the end other than just you know what I mean in order to make class restrictions, that sometimes some of those class restrictions and alignment don't make a lot of sense. I, the lawful good paladin does, but some of the other ones that came later in the game, I don't think necessarily always made complete sense. Um, this is a belief system. This is a personality trait. You know that, that gets muddied. But when when you do it like that, where it's like, look, they're here are these ultimate, cog, you know, cosmic forces, and you got to pick a side. Or you don't pick a side and then people think lesser of you because you don't, you don't have the, any convictions, whatever that may be I, that is far more interesting to me to do it that way. Um, and here's, here's the thought I've turned it on in your head what if what if um, the issue with neutral people was not that you not that you could that a lawful person can only speak a lawful word. But that a chaotic person is the only person who can 't, and that a chaotic it 's not that a lawful person that the chaotic person is the only one who can speak the chaotic word it's just that a lawful person can't and therefore a neutral person can speak both words and they can get access to places so you can you can effectively ward your your city walls against truly chaotic people, but you can 't ward them against neutral people if that makes sense, and that would make them Valuable as go betweens and messengers and things like that, but it but there would be an interesting world to play in where the neutral people are essential, um, but also kind of looked down upon because they refuse to pick a side, Uh, so they're seen as sort of shift you know, (laughs) they don't have any convictions or values, but also we kind of need these guys because they're the only ones who can relay messages between various factions. Anyway, I have to think more on that, and I'm interested to hear what you might... uh, If you're going to do a show on this topic, I'm I'm always eager to hear what what else you've got to say about it. So, here we go with some more.
1: Okay, I had to re-record that because I started going way too far in the morality, but it's funny you said exactly what I thought when Jason was talking was, at the best, I'd say neutral. I still think that people are lawful by nature. I think that people... Certain crimes are considered or certain parts of the, the system are considered not important by people and that's that comes down to the to the good part probably, right? They're selfish. Which I find if using the nine axis alignment, the selfish falls under the good evil category, not under the lawful chaotic. And that's your stealing. I think most people aren't gonna walk into a an establishment steal. Most people aren't gonna commit murder. Sure people speed, but I also think that <laughs> I'm going down that route again. But I believe the, the example that Colville gave, which I think is a good one, is that if nobody's around and you pull up to a stop sign, do you stop? And I, I honestly think most people do. Maybe because it's ingrained in us. It might not be because we believe it, as uh, Jason kind of said. But it doesn't matter. If you do it, you do it, right? Oh, going back <laughs> to the, uh, the idea of people being neutral or whatever. Uh, you know, it's interesting because you're talking about the idea of victimless and this and that. But uh, this is, again, why, like, the art of war, right? Like, why we are... As soldiers trained to not think of the enemy as people, right? They they make up terrible names for the enemy. They they make up insults. They they talk about how they're not like us, and that is exactly for the reason you're saying. Because most people are good, and most people do not want to cause harm to another person. So we have to convince ourselves that the enemy are not people. They're not like us, and that's why we can do it. And this also works for things like cyber crimes and and like white collar stuff, right? Because you don't see the people, right? We don't see the publisher at home not being able to pay their rent because we stole their book. So that's a, that's a crime that doesn't hurt anybody, right, in, in our minds, even though it really does. And I think if, yeah, maybe, you know, Jason's convinced me, maybe we are more neutral.
0: <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the stop sign uh, thing. Um, when I was in college, we had a, a guest lecture uh, one afternoon from a in a philosophy class from a a professor who had who had defected from the Soviet Union. Uh of course the Soviet Union had collapsed by the time I was in college, but but it, it had it really only been a few years. So um he had grown up in the uh in Soviet Russia and then and then defected I I believe in the eighties sometime and was a was a philosophy professor, but he was kind of visiting uh the university I was at. And he he was making a contrast between Americans and Russians. And he said you know, comparing that America lives under a, a less of an authoritarian regime than, than Russia, that we, we, our laws enshrine a certain amount of freedom <laughs> that we think is very important morally and ethically that, that wasn't was present in Soviet Russia. And he used the example of Americans will stop at a stop sign and they will wait at a red light most of the time. Even when it's very clear there's no one around, it would be perfectly safe. It's just <laughs> Americans will still tend to wait at a red light, even if town is deserted, um, not out of fear that there's a cop hiding behind the bushes or you know to, to, that's going to pull them over, but just because we do because we we respect the laws we have because they're not oppressive. I know some people may argue that, and a lot's changed since the mid '90s, but um, whereas people in Russia at that time. He said, "They they pull up. They look both ways, and if there's no authority figure, they just roll through the stop line or stop sign or run the red light, um, and and don't look back because there's no there's a fear of authority, but not a respect of authority." I thought it was interesting that you you, you bring that up. Um, I, I don't know how where that fits in the discussion of alignment, but but you, you sparked that memory. Um, but yeah, that that is a. There's that human element of is it, is, it a, is, it, is it or is it not a victimless crime, and whether we perceive it as such may depend on the proximity to the victim. Um, you know, the, the fa- famous Stanley Milgram experiment where people were willing to ele- give fairly dangerous, or they thought they were anyway, electric shocks to someone in another room, but they couldn't see them. They, they could hear them, you know, complaining at first and then screaming, and but they, they didn't have to look them in the face. And that seemed to have increased their their tendency to, to view that as a other person as less than human. Maybe not less than human is, is not, I don't know if that's the right term, but yeah. So that, that distance, not being able to look someone right in the eye, right in the face when you when you transgress against them, um, and so to overcome that in um, war, you have to pump pump up your side to think you know these are the enemy. You know they look. Because we know when you see them, they're going to look like people. So we got to get, give you other ways to not think of them so much as people. Um, uh, which I think it makes for good. Uh, if you want to get deep into role playing, since combat is such a big part of D anD D, you do you you can use those those kind of tropes. I partially think that's part of why sort of the controversy on whether the humanoids we've. Tendedly tended to treat as traditionally evil races like goblins and orcs. Um, they could stand in as a proxy where, where you could sort of kick in the door and kill everything and take its gold, and you just knew you were still you you were still the good guy. These are bad guys by default. We don't have to we don't have to have any angst or or moral quandary over whether what we're doing is right or wrong. I think that's part of why that's remained a popular part of D and D, and why sometimes efforts in more, the more recent, more recently to, to get a, get away from that, is getting pushback. Um, people don't want to change the sort of default of D and D, the idea that maybe some of these um, creatures aren't always evil. They aren't evil by nature. Um, maybe we're encountering pockets of them that, that they have a culture or or a, a belief system that causes them to act ev- evilly or aggressively. Um, But but any one individual, that that may not be be inherently evil. Um, Anyway, good discussion on alignment, and I think we're going to move on to the topic of magic now. I like
1: the direction you're going here when you're talking about the magic and the different schools. I wonder if it wouldn't be interesting to, you know, if you're playing a game that has different schools of magic, to have some kind of more mechanical benefit or... Or the type. So in other words, if you want to play an illusionist, then you, well, either when you start the game, all of your spells need to be in the illusion category, or possibly they take less uh, of a spell slot. So you can cast a, uh, maybe at the higher level one. So let's say it's a cast second level spell. It might only cost you a first level spell slot or the opposite or, and, or the opposite where that an illusionist wants to cast a necromatic, necromatic spell. Maybe it costs them two slots for that, uh, that spell, because it's not, well, you know, they're within their normal range of doing something. I think that would make things a little more interesting. I feel like there'd be a lot of players that would cry about that, though, so <laughs> you'd have to have the right group, you know, because people want to have variety um, in their game, I guess. No, that may have come come out harsh, and the kinder, gentle, gentler Daniel will <laughs> rephrase that, um, What I mean by that is that players don't want to, you know, in in their mind, right, most players are going to be like, oh, they they like to watch a story where the magic user is trying really hard to cast or there's a problem. But in the game, they don't want to deal with that. They want to know exactly what they've got. Okay, I have these many spell spell slots. I can use them this way. Because the type of player that plays a spellcaster generally is the type of player that is a planner. You know, they want to know what they have, and they want it to work the way that they want it to work. Um, Obviously, this is not every spellcasting player, and if you look at games like DCC, People that love that spell system clearly not like that, but I know that a lot of people when I played for instance 5th edition They are very structured in how they do their spells. They certainly would not want it uh, To be nerfed as they say Then again, maybe they would use it in a way to give themselves a boost. What's the opposite of nerf? Uh, A wet nerf? Because man, you get hit by a wet nerf football? That's terrible.
0: Oh, yeah, getting hit, hit with a wet nerf football hurts tremendously the exact opposite of the intended purpose of having an Earth Ball. <laughs> uh, interesting thoughts there. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the spellcasters tend to want to, to be a little more strategic and selective and to kind of to uh, use the rules in a way that uh, helps, helps them run their characters instead of just sort of haphazardly doing stuff. I mean, even people who play sorcerers in, in modern D&D, which are supposed to be kind of a little bit wild I think they put more thought into how they build their characters thematically and and what their role is, how they're going to respond to different situations uh, that they encounter, and use their spells to to overcome challenges. So, yeah, I think I, I think the approach, you know, like in like in second edition D and D, when you were a specialist in a school, you um, you got an extra spell from that school, and then there were certain schools you couldn't take. I believe you had to have a certain number of your spells devoted to that school. So they kind of tried to balance it out that way. Um, I can't recall in 3rd edition how they they handled that. Um, Of course, 5th edition just handles it where you know your spells are up to you, but you've got some fixed uh, special abilities related to the the school of magic that you specialize in, um, depending on which, which school that is. But... Yeah, I'm trying to think of how you might win all that into a simpler game like BX or or, uh, OD&D. I guess you'd have to create spell schools, first of all, which, you know, would be easy enough to do. by just, nothing else, just using the way those spells, which are still part of the game, have come to be categorized. Um, And then, yeah, something simple like you get an extra spell or... If there's a role involved, maybe there's a, there's a roll, or maybe when you cast a spell of your school, um, targets have a minus one to their saving throw. Um, or if you don't want to, if you don't want to, that's too powerful for the caster. Say when you cast a spell that's not of your school, um, targets get a plus one bonus on their saving throw. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Anyway. Um, But you mentioned DCC and kind of laughed. (laughs) And then you come back around and are about to take me to task. So here we go.
1: So I think what Jason's saying about magic now is really interesting. Um, You know, the the idea of like in some places it is structured or whatever. However, I will point out that in Harry Potter, uh, I don't know about The Witcher, but in Harry Potter anyways, when they're young and they try to do magic that they aren't trained in, they screw it up and let loose things that are crazy. Um, And in DCC, if you were a high-level character, you remember you add your level to every roll. So yes, there's a small chance that you might roll a natural one. But if you're a 10th-level wizard in DCC, you are going to cast that spell the way you want 90% of the time. So I do think even in DCC, where it's a little bit more crazy, you've got that structure. You just don't have it at low levels. And I wonder if that's that realism, if you want to call it that, is actually a little more interesting. I I also like DCC, but I also like fantasy magic. So it really depends on the system. Uh, my main problem with DCC magic is it's too too much. Like, you can cast too often. I, I like Vancian. I stand in the corner by myself liking it. I know everybody loves to, to hate Vancian, but I love Vancian magic. Okay, so now you're talking about DCC and divine magic. I believe you did talk about it on your show, because I remember you saying it, and I kept meaning to call in, and then I didn't. I disagree 100%. Gods, in a sword and sorcery type world, are fickle. Why are you bothering me now, Cleric? I'm getting my nails done. I'm think about Zeus and all these other gods who punished their their priests and and other mortals because they looked the wrong way at somebody or they didn't say the prayer exactly right or all this stuff. All these stories about the gods just striking people down randomly that 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 works for me. The other thing, too, is, again, you have to consider that in Dungeon Call Classics, the chance of that happening to you is much lower the higher level you get. So you say you've devoted your life, but a first-level cleric in DCC has not devoted their life to that cler- that god. They have just more or less just started. When you're a higher-level cleric, the chance of you getting a serious uh, violation against the god goes down because I think when you roll on that chart, you add your level to it. I have to look at it to see, but... What's funny is that I said that I didn't like how uh, <laughs> the arcane magic can cast too much, for my opinion, because I like vancian magic, but it actually, in a divine magic system, I actually prefer DCC. I like the idea that you're praying and that prayers are not always answered. Or if they are answered, they're answered the way that God wants to answer them. So, you know, there you go. Uh, that's, the way that, that's the way that, you know, the gods are in my world, at least. They, they're they not out there for you. Who cares if you've devoted your whole life? Of course you should. I'm a god. You're just a punny mortal. That's the way I have the gods look at people. So, <laughs> for me, the god's not always helping out and, and maybe even cursing you with a, you know, a scar across your face because you bothered them when they were trying to take a nap or whatever the gods do, right? Uh, I'm all down with that. So probably in an ideal world for me, I'd run the divine magic more random and more like you better appease the God and the arcane magic, much more like science.
0: I, I think you're making a very good point And honestly, one, because I haven't played DC and is not as familiar DCC and I'm not as familiar with it. Uh, the idea that once you start to go up in level, that the odds of those critical failures reduce greatly and i think that is a a pretty good representation of when you're playing this style of game particularly a sword and sorcery game where you you are kind of a nobody you're not that powerful you're just starting out at first level and so of course you're going to make a lot of mistakes um i think i'm also a little biased on it because uh when i kind of got a little interested in DCC and wanted to understand a little more i always go look for um Examples of play on YouTube or in podcasts, and I I for a while followed a podcast where they started with DCC and and the cleric. It seemed like maybe it it had to have been thirty-five to forty-five percent of the time they botched their role, and that was just been bad luck over their first few sessions. But he was he was constantly in more trouble, having to do penance and. He was just ineffective as a cleric to the point that it seemed like it wasn't. I mean, everybody at the game laughed about it because they like Dungeon Crawl Classics, but I thought that would just be frustrating with me as a cleric. It gets old really quick, but it could just been an artifact of the sessions I listened to. He was having a bad run of luck on his rolls, and he was a first level cleric, so you know once they leveled up, that that may be uh, <laughs> be be behind you know well behind him in the days of having to do that all the time. Um so yeah, thanks for your thoughts and, and your, your instruction on Dungeon Call Classics. One thing that's interesting, you said you like Vancey and Magic. I've gone ahead and backed the DCC box set for Dying Earth, and, and I, I honestly wonder how they're going to handle a, a, a setting box set. That's the setting that gave us Vancey and Magic from a game system that doesn't use Vancey and Magic. So I don't know if they're going to return to Vancey and Magic... Uh, which I think would be pretty easy to do in, in DCC. If they're going to return to Vance and Magic in the, in the Dying Earth box set, or if they're going to do something else, I'd be really curious to see how that plays out. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I backed the, the box set even though I don't play DCC. I, I do want to play DCC and experience it at some point, um, but you know, we all have a long list of games we want to either run or play in that exceeds the, the, the time that life allows us, don't we? Anyway, well, that's it. Uh, I want to thank Daniel again for all his calls and his responses. Uh, very interesting to hear from him, as always. So that'll wrap it up for this uh, bonus episode. And I think we've got three more RPG a Day Month episodes coming up, and then we'll be done for the, for the marathon. All right. Everybody take care out there. And that's it for this episode of The Arcane Alienist. I want to thank Dave Bone for the cover art that i use for the episodes check out ironseer.com and the music is come and get it by scott holmes music Uh, thank you for listening Uh, give me a call sometime through the anchor app or at the anchor website and i'll be back in the future with another episode